Greetings, and welcome back to what promises to be another stirring edition of ZachCast. I am Chad Janicek, here with Patrick Lawler. How you doing, Pat? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Hey, today we've got Kyle Lester. He's the finance director for the city of Colleyville, Texas. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. We are glad that you could join us. Uh, uh, obviously, this is a busy time for not just you, but pretty much everybody in city government. Uh, but in particular for you, because uh, you are starting the budget process. And given all of the uncertainty that's going on with uh, the COVID-19, I know that uh, in the county that you're in, they just issued a shelter in place order for all non-essential work, basically, uh, a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely there's going to be some economic impacts that come with that. And as you start your budget process, we thought it would be good just to chat with someone and kind of see how you're handling it, see what kind of things that this is changing for you and and what your approach has been. And uh, so, yeah, why don't you just talk to us a little bit about how Colleyville's reacting to uh, to some of these these issues? Sure. Well, um, I guess first I, I want to clarify, uh, you mentioned, you know, Tarrant County has the shelter in place uh, mandate. Um, and I think most cities, and I don't know if I can say most cities, uh, educated guess I would say most cities in Tarrant County um, have adopted the Tarrant County Emergency Management protocol because um, every city has to have something, right? Uh, Colleyville actually has its own. So what the county, um, you know, dictates actually does not formally affect Colleyville. So um, the shelter in place that the county tried to implement um, a day before the state did, um, didn't actually affect us. Um, our uh, our elected officials have been adamant that they, they don't agree right now that we need a shelter in place um you know they, they've been they've been cautious and they've of course uh issued an emergency declaration that's been similar to the uh you know the the precautions that cities have come to uh in in the recent weeks we've shut off all um public access to um uh, city facilities uh, our staff is still coming in. Um, we're still working. We're, you know, we're maintaining our boundaries, our social distance and all that stuff. But we're still coming in. We're still getting our job done. Um, and that's, you know, that that's what Colleyville, where Colleyville's at right now. Um, we didn't actually uh, formally get to shutting down essential businesses until the state mandated it. And then, of course, we fell under that umbrella. And uh, and so you know, all of our restaurants have gone to carry out delivery only. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're, I guess that much more cautious because the state has stepped in. Um, it doesn't look like the state's going to issue a, you know, um, shelter in place, statewide shelter in place mandate. Um, Governor Abbott's been very reluctant to do that. Uh, I don't know how long I'll hold out on that, but so for now, we're not under that Tarrant County shelter in place mandate, but it's still, you know, we're still being as cautious as we can be. And speaking of so, caution, I mean, that's, oh, go ahead. Oh, it's because you, you still have all your staff coming into City Hall every day. You had kickoff today, right? But you did that virtually? We did. Um, so, we're, you know, we, we're also, I mean, all of this, we're, we're taking it very seriously. And one of the things, you know, is I was trying to set up budget kickoff of course this is my first budget i'm doing with colleyville i came on here september of 2019 and um i was just thinking you know all kickoff really is is 
here's the process, here's the forms, let's talk about our outlook, and then that's it. And so with the CDC saying, look, try try and limit the people you're with to, to under 10, you know, knowing our department directors, uh, I suggested that we we set up a WebEx meeting um, and, and test it out and then just have people tune in, you know, and you could have however many managers, directors, you could set up a conference room if you wanted to, and we could still get everything that we need to do and be safer, you know, than, than if we all showed up. And surprisingly, I'm not really a tech guy, you know this, <laughs> but it, it went well. Yeah, it, it went very well. Um, and, and we got it done. And, you know, the message yeah, it really is just, you know, things are up in the air, but uncertainty is, in all honesty, I mean, that's where that's where your real budget guys live. It's in uncertainty um, because you're always trying to plan, you know, for a positive year, a middle of the road year and a negative year at at most uh, or at least. Um, and so that's that's kind of what we're doing is we're examining what segments, you know, of our retail base could be hit by what's going on. Um, how long could they sustain that hit potentially? Uh, and then, you know, listening to certainly opinions out there on, on you know, if we do go into recession, what's it going to look like? How long can that potentially last for? Um, and then taking into account who our, our residents are. I mean, we have higher property values. We're, we're a high property tax um, city. We rely mostly on property tax. Yeah, it's really only till uh, only recently that you've that you've really started to develop commercially, like in the past what 10, 10 years to that you've started to really expand. Um, uh, yeah, from I'd a, say from so. A retail standpoint. Yeah, no, I'd say so. Um, I know Patrick knows a lot more about Colleyville's history from that standpoint because he's he was good friends with their former economic development director. But uh, it's yeah, it's, it's always been there's always been kind of a nimby thing in in Colleyville where they they didn't really want a whole lot of uh, commercial growth, but that's kind of changed yes. over the last few years. The the guard, especially politically, the political guard has changed significantly uh, over the past, really just over the past like six years, uh, as far as I'm aware, and and that's been part of it. Is how much how much of Colleyville do we want to develop, and how much do we want to keep that semi rural, you know, hometown feel? You know, what's what's our direction? And right now, um, you know, there there's sort of this hybrid of we're going to develop, but we're going to develop and we're going to have our own signature identity. Um, think of like, Patrick, you're from, you're from um, uh, Katie, right? That's correct. Yes. All right. So you, you're familiar with like the aesthetic of the woodlands. Yes, very much so. All right. That, that, that's kind of a bit of the vibe that I get with, with where Colleyville is going. Maybe not, not as, not as, you know, Woodlands esque, but it's it's very. We want our own identity, and we want people to know when they're in Colleyville and when they're not. And when you're in a mid city, and you you've got Hearst on one side, you know, Grapevine, South Lake, to ask, you know, to try and get someone to notice when you're in one of those areas can be pretty difficult because they're just driving down 26. Yeah. So the description of that is is Colleyville is basically sandwiched between Grapevine on one end. And Northwestern Hills and Hearst on the other, right? Yeah, Lake. that's basically it. Yeah. South Lake's there. Yeah. And Yulis. Actually, right up against Yulis as well, right? Off 121. So you, you, you guys really are. I mean, to find your own identity, you, you have to do something special. We do. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. We've got a lot of um, 
development and a lot of just, I guess I would call it like signature, you know, things that we're trying to do, you know, things, things that if, once you enter the city, you know, our Northern gateway, we're, we're putting up some, you know, some uh, facade there that, that sort of, Hey, you know, let you know you're, you're coming into Colleyville. Um, and, and the way that we're, Textile we're really helps with that too, because uh, that construction project on 26 is like, gone on for 10 years so you you kind of know when Text, you enter Colleyville because TechStot's working there for now yeah for now it's it's when you come to a standstill in traffic oh, this is Colleyville <laughs> but it's it's Tech close though TechStot's getting close yeah it's getting close it's getting close and y'all have a beautiful city hall oh city hall's amazing I love going into work but let's talk about your kickoff a little bit okay hold on time out time out I'm sorry I'm sorry hold on can I tell one story about Colleyville that's just crazy awesome so we, we play a lot of baseball tournaments in Colleyville. This is your podcast okay. too. This yeah, I know. So we <laughs> we we play a lot of baseball tournaments in Colleyville. And this is just something that I notice in, in the world. So at the baseball fields, which by the way, Kyle, beautiful facility. One of the most yeah. beautiful city run baseball facilities I've I've ever been to. Uh really, really nice facility. But they don't mulch their landscape beds. They have pecan trees that grow all throughout this park, and they shred pecans as their mulch for these beds. Now, I, you know, look, I'm just a normal Joe who lives in Parker County, Texas, but pecans at the grocery store are pretty darn expensive. I'm just going to point that out. And in Colleyville, they shred them for mulch. That's my two cents. Look, look, we're going to talk about Parks and Rec, so I'm just going to tell you, like, like Hearst is Pawnee and we're Eagleton. That's that should be all oh, wow. I have to say about. There you go. There you go. <laughs> nice. Throwing down the gauntlet. I like it. <laughs> we have Michael Blueblay on retainer. Um, <laughs> getting back to your uh, Chad, your budget question. Um, you know, we again, like we don't know everything. Obviously, we don't know everything about what this pandemic is going to bring to us. We know it's going to hurt at the very least through the next several months now that's the end of it um colleyville's in in a fine place to come out at the end of that we actually have a very healthy balance sheet um general funds in a good place uh and and i don't i don't really have worries beyond that if that's the duration but the thing is we don't know that so what i generally do is i'll prepare a few different forecast uh scenarios um those would be you know if if you know, if it's a couple of months and, and the hit that we feel is primarily in this fiscal year, or maybe the implications are beyond that and we have businesses that can't recover and then businesses that don't come in to fill those businesses, um, how does that look? How does that affect our tax rate? How does that affect our um, half-cent sales tax for CDC and CCPD? Uh, because that puts more pressure on the general fund. So really the name of the game is being flexible and having having, I guess, kind of contingency triggers that you can pull and say, okay, this appears to be happening. Let's, you know, let, let's pull this trigger. Let's, let's think about, you know, shifting kind of how we fund things. Um, the situation you don't want to be in is the situation of a financial manager or city manager that has not already assessed their risk. Um, the first thing I did when I got to Colleyville I really learned this from working at Weatherford is to take a look at your revenue portfolio and your exposure and say to yourself, okay, if we, if we come to this catastrophic point where 
we're having to consider something like furloughs, you know, or, or, or widespread layoffs or a lot of program cuts. What triggers that? Like what, what leads us to that point? Um, and as you know, for Weatherford, a very sales tax heavy city, what it would be would be, you know, obviously the economy tanking us, not having any sort of contingency plan on how to fund things that we're doing. Um, Colleyville's in a much better position. Um, we're a little more insulated, you know, obviously we're not impervious to it, but I think we, we have quite a ways to fall before we, we get to that point. And even, even on the way down, we have a lot of, uh, different levers that, that I think we can pull before we get to those drastic measures of furlough or, or layoffs. And, and I certainly wouldn't think that's, that that's definitely not our intention to get there. And I don't think that's where we'll be. So my favorite part about budgeting is you get to this, uh, you get to a point when you've been doing it in the same place for long enough where you basically know like where every dollar is. And you know, just uh, when something random comes up and a question gets asked to you, you, you can just kind of see step A to step B to step C about if I make this one change, how does that affect everything? And it's sort of this Zen moment uh, that you, that you eventually will get to as a, either budget director or budget manager. Um, I assume that you're not quite there yet. Cause you've only been there for a few months, but, um, no, uh, it's, it's good to know like the first thing that you did to get to that point was a risk assessment and, and, and uh, not like from a risk management standpoint, like, you know, your you know, yeah. operations and safety training and things like that, but just your financial risk, you know, where are the, uh, where are the potential areas of weakness and where are the strengths, um, that's that's a really important thing to do when you first get into a uh, a role where you're managing the finances and budget. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll tell you just a few of those. I mean, like I said, we have the half cent CDC CCPD, and we rely on those. And we've we've actually increased the uh, position count in CCPD in the last year. Um, and it, again, if we have a sales tax problem, our general fund in isolation can can handle that. Uh, CEDC CCPD. That's that's where it really starts to to weigh on it. And then they have to shift things back to the general fund. And so those things don't exist in isolation. Um, hotel motel tax is the same way. You know, we have one hotel. It's it's pretty profitable. We have a you know decent uh, hotel motel fund balance. Um, but again, that's economically elastic. So we, we may end up um, at a point where some of those special events and those things that we relied on those revenues for, we, we can't do that for a year, maybe two years. Uh, and that's really where the pressure comes from in Colleyville. So talk to me about your kickoff again, or let's go back to that. Sure. And obviously, uh, you know, you mentioned that one of the things that you do in a kickoff is just talk about the process and procedures, and that's great and fun and everyone loves that. But um, another really important aspect of your kickoff is the story that you're telling about what you're trying to accomplish in the upcoming budget year. Um, it, that kind of helps guide the departments with their requests and helps them understand ahead of time what is and is not likely to get recommended for funding. Um, so, you know, as you've kind of prepared for this day for the last few months, you've, you've probably had a story in mind, uh, the things that y'all have done over the past few years and where you're planning to go, the city's strategic plan, uh, comprehensive plan, like how, how all these things fit together. Sure. How does that change in the last couple of weeks uh, when you know, as this situation has grown more and more uh, intense, I think in general you start to see how much, how many of those goals, which one of those matter more than others. Is is 
the best way that I could put it because all, all those goals are going to compete against one another. You, you want to, for example, you know, staff up a PD and fire, for instance, that, that's always something a lot of cities are, are after, but at the same time you want a low tax rate. Um, you know, Colleyville has in the last two years has adopted the, well, what was the effective rate and now was the no new revenue tax rate. Um, and they, they would love to keep doing that. That's a very high priority for them. Um, how does that compete against, you know, like I said, if your, your sales tax does tank for, you know, more than just this fiscal year for next fiscal year and part, part of 2022, you're going to have to put off one of those goals. And so uh, I think that that's really where the rubber starts to hit the road is you say, look, all of these are here and we, we all want to accomplish them more on the same page, but you have to prioritize them and you have to say which ones are more important. And, and that's kind of the message going into it for, I would say, for council more than for staff, because staff's focus is going to be, what do I need to do for my operations? You know, how, how, do, I, how do I best deliver the same service level that I'm delivering now? And if I want to increase my service level, why and who is it going to benefit? That's fine. The ultimate decision level really comes to city management and council. And that's when you have to tell them very frankly, look, if this is your your first goal, here's what you sacrifice for over the next couple of years. And and so I think it, going into any given budget year, that needs to be your message of goals are always going to compete against one another. Um, the, you know, the economy, the uh, basically what we're up against is what it is. And and here's here's the unknowns. Here's what we don't know. So um, our message, you know, generally isn't going to change too much from year to year, at least at least not from my standpoint. I want to point something out, uh, which you kind of hit on this a little bit, Kyle, but because we've had a statewide disaster, I don't know how many cities have really realized this yet, but in the new tax code that the legislature adopted last year, we no longer have a cap. The the cap has increased to 8% for the next two years. Have y'all talked about that at all at Colleyville? So um, we have... Um, Colleyville was, um, I, this is before I got there, I believe our, our mayor and, and I think our city management team, um, sort of helped champion, uh, some of those, those property tax caps. And so they know they're out there, um, that the, the 8% is now in play. Um, I, I mean, that's, I can't imagine the scenario right now in which we would go up to that point. Um, I can tell you that the flexibility just in the last couple of weeks, the flexibility on tax rate uh, for, for Colleyville has, has grown um, a lot more than it, than it had been before that. Before that, it, I wouldn't say it's rigid, but it was very, you know, we can do this no new revenue tax rate. And, and now it's the language has, has changed a little bit to, look, that's what we're aiming for. If we can't get there, we understand. Let's just really map out why we're doing it, what we're, so, so I think it's softening a little bit. Um, we're certainly, I, I, I mean, I would bet my next paycheck that there's, there's no way we're, we're going to in any way go up to an 8%. Um, but Colley, I mean, Colleyville obviously is an extremely fiscally conservative city, right? So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of known as that. Yeah, so. But I, yeah, I do think it's interesting because uh, I've had this conversation with a couple different cities that's come up in the conversation. Is like, man, but you know, we 
if we have to, we can compensate with property tax. It's amazing how fast that conversation's come up. Well, of course it has. I mean, it's not surprising to me. If you, if you listen to any of the conversations during the legislative session, it's not surprising that cities will try to take advantage of uh, a moment when that 3% cap goes away. Well, you're going to have a ton of cities that take advantage of it twice. They're going to take advantage of it 8% this year and 8% next year. I mean, the writing is on the wall from the state level that they're going to try to limit the ability of cities to manage their own property taxes. So if you have this opportunity, I'm like... I, I, I'm not the kind of person to say take advantage of a crisis, but if you have an opportunity to uh, to shore up that property tax for the next ten years or so by by utilizing the the higher cap, uh, I would suspect a lot of cities will probably take it. Well, and you can't bank it. That's the other thing. Oh, you can't. With, uh, you can't. You cannot bank that eight percent. Whereas if you don't if you don't hit that cap in normal years, you can actually bank it. I think it's up to five percent. Is that right, Kyle? You may want to correct me on that, but I think it's up to 5% you can bank and do in future years. I, I didn't think it was 5%, but yes, you definitely can bank for a rolling three years. Yes. So, so I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's very interesting to see how cities are going to react to the situation. Kyle, I want to dig really into the sales tax because that's what with our clients most recently we've been dealing with, which is what is our loss? How much is it going to be? And how, you know, because we, we are, the the good news is is that we're at a time in the budget year you know we're at uh we're at reestimate time right so we're at a time in the budget year where we still have time to cut back on services so that we can end on a balanced budget we haven't hit this we haven't hit the street maintenance season yet that's correct we haven't hit street maintenance season that's the biggest thing so sorry public works department you're probably going to get hit <laughs> um yeah but but the question the question is is how much have you started to dig into the actual projections of loss of sales tax for Colleyville? You know, that, that's an interesting question. For the past week, that, that's at least 20% of what I've been doing with my time. Um, so the biggest thing that's been hit for Colleyville has, has generally been um, food and, and beverage establishments, restaurants and bars. Um, and they're still doing business. Most of them are still, still doing business, but they're really reducing how much business they're doing. They've obviously cut their staff um, and people have, you know, we have a few liquor stores in Colleyville that are highly patronized. So I would say that in general, you know, even though the, gov the governor has said, you know, hey, restaurants can deliver mixed beverages and stuff, I, I wouldn't think that there's a lot of that going on. Well, what's probably happening is people have gone to Goody Goody and, you know, bought their own stuff and now they're at home. And so our mixed beverage taxes are probably going to be non-existent for the next couple of months. Uh, and that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm planning on it is very little showing there. Um, from a sales tax perspective, um, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my biggest concern isn't really this fiscal year. As you said, Colleyville is a very conservative, um, you know, fiscally conservative uh, uh, city and, and we can weather a, you know, a hit for the next several months. The question is how long this is going to last, and um, and, and if we do lose restaurants um, permanently, if we have some that permanently shut their doors, are we going to have ones that replace them? Um, and, th and that's kind of that. That's where my concern is is at this point in time. Ten percent of our sales tax comes from uh, those food and beverage, you know, establishments, and so you know, if I assume conservatively that that uh, we take 
I don't know, just just from that segment, let's say a, a hit of about eight percent, um, you know, I can do that and then, you know, turn around and say, okay, well, people are basically going to grocery stores, but we also have some recreational, you know, areas there that that people aren't going to either. So really, what I'm trying to do is look at several different scenarios and and come up with okay, a best case, middle of the road case, worst case scenario. And then see what the next few months really have to offer. Um, the great thing about, I wouldn't say great, but the beneficial thing about when this hit is this hit early on in the budget process. And so we should have some you know, early idea of how this is going to at least immediately affect us within the next two months. Yeah, you'll have sales tax data for March uh, in July before you propose. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And then we'll have our final... I'm sorry, sales tax for, uh, for May. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, and that's when I'll have my, my final property tax values. And, you know, as I said, Collinville is a property tax heavy city. So, you know, we we rely much more on that than sales tax. Um, and that that insulates us a little bit, you know, from some of this, this noise that we're having. But uh, the issue right now, honestly, is is a budget guy is just to be flexible and to tell all your department directors and your city manager, be very open about you You need to be prepared for potentially something very bad to where we don't have a lot of room next year that maybe we need to think about, you know, scaling back operations if it's a very deep and long recession. Um, fortunately, that's not what I've been reading, but yeah, I mean, this is unprecedented, so. Are you, are you all really just be flexible and know where you can? No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, at this point, are y'all or are you thinking more of a like a fund balance hit for next year type of scenario or a scaling back operations or just not doing as many new things? Would a fund balance hit be a higher uh, a higher priority option for you just so that you could kind of maintain the status quo while you determine the actual length of, of the impact? Well, if you can afford to do that, um you know, I think that that's probably a pretty beneficial thing. Having now, having said that, this does afford you the opportunity to to really take a strategic look at your operations and say what's what do you really want to do and what can you live without. And in all honesty, if you can live without something um, in in a bad economy, then you can live without it in a good economy. And so you always need to take that strategic look. If you can deliver alcohol from a uh, you know from a restaurant. <laughs> during a pandemic, then why can't you do it when there's not a pandemic, right? Exactly. Why? Why the hell not? I just want to say that that's spoken like a true. That, that is spoken like a true budget guy, right? Not like a city manager. Okay, a city manager would never make that statement, Kyle. But a budget <laughs> guy who doesn't want the city manager to spend money—that's the statement he makes right there. Yeah, he's he's, uh, I'm he's not, got me on that one. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't want us to not spend money. I'm not a, uh, you know, we're not about hoarding. We just want to spend it strategically. And, and uh, that, that is that is a total falsehood. Budget guys want people to spend no money. I would ask Chad all the time, <laughs> Chad, do no, we have no, money no, for this? No, no. And the immediate answer was no. There was never, there was never <laughs> like a yes. It was just a yeah. no. If you give a mouse a cookie, I'm going to want everything at the end of the day. And, and you just can't do okay, that. Okay. Well, well now, now you're showing your card that, that you, oh, you absolutely. And saying, do I want this? You're saying, give me the world. <laughs> Absolutely. If I can get just a little bit, I'm going to take everything. You're setting the chess game right there. So you're, you're sort of validating the other point. But, yes, but just exactly. Validating the reasons that I had to say no initially. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. 
I'm 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 not the type of budget guy that just says no to say no. Like we we're here to do uh, perform a service. What I'm saying is if if in a good economy you add just because you can, that's not a good reason to do what you're doing. And and that doesn't come to light until you're in a bad economy. That doesn't come to light until you're forced to choose between uh, okay, program A, program B. And then you realize that maybe program B was never a wise thing to do in the first place. And that, that's what I'm getting at. That, that's, that's where this becomes a useful thing to go through, even though it's painful and, and no one actually actively wants to go through it. So th- what you're saying, I 100% agree with, and it's the mentality that we use in Hudson Oaks. Anytime uh, a person would leave the staff, we would reevaluate the entire organization and determine whether or not that position was still necessary moving forward, or should it be converted to something else? I mean, the staff that they have right now uh, is nothing like the one that we had three years ago before we had our finance director leave, before I left. Uh, you know, They've got several new positions because that's what the city needs now, uh, and we didn't just need to carry forward the same thing that we were doing. So yeah, right. I, I fully agree that it's an opportunity to, to evaluate the things that you have and, and determine what you really need. Sure. And, and having said that, you know, get to back, get back to your original question. Um, I, I am certainly not eager, definitely not as a, a young member of the staff, but, but even just as a finance director in general, I, I, I don't want to force anybody to cut anything. And I don't think, I don't think that should necessarily have, you know, be your go-to if you've done your homework, you know, you should be able to, Again, assess your risk and know areas, know, know what you can do to try and sort of weather a storm. Um, for us, if it's, I, I am kind of relying a bit on fund balance, at least until we know what we're dealing with. Because this is so unprecedented, I, I don't, I mean, I can, I can project all I want um, and I can come up with plans under different scenarios. But until I know what scenario we're under, I'm, I'm not going to try and prematurely pull a trigger. I guess, or, or yeah, ask I, I, the city manager to do so. I think that's yeah, something I saw a, lot, a, post. a lot of cities do. Real, real quick, Patrick, I'll let you go through yeah, it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of cities are quick to pull the trigger when they at the first sign of distress. And I think that you do need yeah. to have a steady hand uh, as you move into these uncertain times. I mean, you have fund balance for a reason. Um, it's not a matter of you know deferring a decision. It's just, let's just see what the actual impact's going to be before we do anything crazy. Exactly. I saw, and this relates to a lot of the special services we're doing for clients right now. We're doing a lot of on-the-fly weekly loss projections uh, for clients throughout the state of Texas. And I, I saw a post today on LinkedIn from a guy who was a finance director for well over thirty years, and his post was, "What does a finance director tell a city manager at this at this time?" And and it basically went into detail on how you give your city manager the absolute worst case scenario and you lock everything down and you stop basically all spending across the board. Uh, And I just thought to myself, man, as a city manager, I want to know what they really think. I don't want the worst case apocalyptic scenario. I want to know like what, what is it? And, and I, I don't want to call the client out uh, because we're, we're doing a lot of work for them and, and they're doing a really good job right now. Um, but they did some initial assessment on their sales tax uh, on, on how much they would be losing. And their assessment was apocalyptic. I mean, it was re- it was, it yeah. was so apocalyptic that they had an entire industry utilities, which utilities are not going to go anywhere. Phones, 
electric. We're, we're still, you know, cities that get sales tax on those items are still going to get sales tax on utilities. And, right. and utilities made up a higher percentage of their sales tax than they were actually projecting to bring in in this apocalyptic scenario. And I'm like, guys, that's not even possible. Like people still have to have their lights turned on. And so, you know, I, I think we need it exactly what Chad said. You got to take a step back. You have to look at it uh, and, and do your analysis and, and you don't have to freak out. There's no reason mm-hmm. at this point to freak out. And, and Kyle, you, you have really, in this conversation, uh, you're really, because I know you personally, right? You're super level-headed through this right now. And I'm impressed yeah, by it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, well, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's going back to, I guess, what you were saying about the initial knee-jerk reaction from a finance director. That's, it's very defensive. It's very, it's very cautious. But at the same time, you're asking your city manager to basically shut down um, pretty much everything they're doing. Um, all the plans that were made by council, everything else um, on worst case scenario speculation. And really what you should be doing, your job as a finance director is to say, listen, I we obviously don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Here's what I can tell you. Here's where we can flex. And here's where things get a little rigid. Um, I've got a few projections. I've already done them. Key. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, and and we can maintain our status quo right now. Let's wait and see. It's going to be a few months. It may be rocky, but we can get through this and we're going to ease into whatever solution we have to ease into. Um, it may hurt. It may not. But, you know, we're we're not going to just try and pull the cord and, you know, pump up the parachute like we can we can be a little more level headed about this. And, and I think that's a that's a fine approach. I mean, that's a, that's a really, really good approach to take to an event that I think right now finance directors are trying to look out two or three years to say that this event is going to be a, you know, everybody's assuming this is a recession or some type of depressive situation financially. Right. And we don't know that yet. All, all we know is that this is going to last weeks and, and, and we don't know how many weeks. So why are we projecting two years or three years out when really all we know is it could last weeks, why aren't we just looking at the week by week loss at this point and taking it week by week? You know, I'd say, and this may, this may be a little more in depth of an answer than, than people might be thinking, but you know, I've been thinking for a while, we're, we're definitely due for some kind of a slowdown. Uh, You know, this is the largest, has been the largest economic expansion, even though it's slow expansion, um, the longest economic expansion um, we've had in this country. And, and so I think everyone, uh, a lot of attendant finance directors were looking for a slowdown. And so when this came up, it became, okay, this is it. Now everything that we've, you know, uh, thought about or trained for or, or, you know, projected for is is coming to fruition. Um, what's What we need to keep in mind is this is vastly different from 0809. You know, 0809 was a massive systemic problem in our uh, mortgage markets and our financial markets, um, decades of bad legislation. A lot of things colluded to make 0809 happen. This is not that. This is an external, this is not a bad economic actor. This is an external hazard that's coming in that's disrupting our markets. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, how, how long do we think this will go on? How quickly can we recover? I can tell you that 
Colleyville residents, um, just getting back to my just, you know, locality, um, tend to be higher in terms of wealth, uh, in terms of property values. And even though their savings may take a hit, um, I think we will be insulated um, to a certain extent from sort of the effects of this. That doesn't mean it won't hurt. And that doesn't mean it's it's not going to be a problem for us. But I don't see this being a catastrophe yet. I mean, I can plan for a catastrophe, and that's fine, but I'm not going to sell my city manager on a catastrophe because, quite frankly, that's not my job right now. Awesome. Kyle, thank you so much for the, just the background, the, uh, the context you know, from a budget standpoint, like someone actually dealing with this in the moment. Um, I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't take the opportunity to, uh, to bring up a question that you actually posed to me recently. Um, and we kind of put it aside and said, let's, let's talk about this on the podcast. Um, and especially since we didn't, we somehow managed like a 40 minute conversation without a single office reference. I'm extremely disappointed, but, uh, you asked me the other day, if Leslie Nope were my assistant director, would I keep her because of her productivity or fire her for her blind impulsiveness and reckless actions? So I actually like went back to rewatch the first couple seasons of Parks and Rec. those of you who don't know, Leslie Nope is the deputy director of the Parks Department in Pawnee, Indiana, uh, which is a fictitious town. And uh, let me just first say, whoever wrote that show was amazing. They had so much background research, or they worked in city government for a very long time. But everything from like the way the Parks Department operates, and the planning department, and the libraries... And uh, when uh, when he meets when she meets Louis C.K., the police officer that they end up you know they end up dating, oh yeah. my gosh, he talks just like a police officer, <laughs> even about like h- how he's attracted to Leslie Nope. Like uh, uh, yes, I found her uh, attractive, and uh, after I spoke with her, uh, you know, it's like just the the way that they all speak and and act is so lifelike, at least in the first few seasons. Um, but yeah, so. Why don't you go ahead and give your thoughts on that question, Kyle? Because I know that you got in some trouble sure. on like a Facebook group or a Reddit Reddit sub yeah. you know, post or something. No, I. Um, so first of all, I, the only disappointment I have from Parks and Rec is that they never showed a finance office at all. Because that that coming from a finance office, that would be comedic gold with, with especially with Leslie Nope's personality. Um, but uh, I, I go back and forth on this. So, yeah, I was a part of like a, a nerdy like Parks and Rec fan group on Facebook. And I mentioned on there, you know, I think I might honestly have just fired Leslie Nope in the first few seasons. And I just got dogpiled on. It's like, oh, OK, whatever. But the real I mean, the real thing that, that I think I, I was really getting at was that, you know, Leslie, uh, at least for the first two seasons, whenever she didn't get what she wanted. Um, she would go above her superior's head and even worse, she would go to the press and try to undermine city council, city management. Um, and especially in local government in, in Texas, local government that has the capacity to, to make things a lot more disruptive, have a lot more negatives than any positive you could potentially happen, you know, from that. And so if that continually happened, if that's all that Leslie Nope was, was, you know, it's my way and I don't care what you want. Uh, even if it was well-intentioned, um, I definitely would have taken some kind of personnel action. Uh, 
you, you just you, you can't do that. Um, if you if you if you try and venture in, I know that we we talk about like politics versus administration, and we're taught taught about that. And there are certain things that bleed over, but when you blatantly try to spit in the face of of your your city council as a staff member, that's when you you definitely gone over the line. Well, she later runs for council. She does exactly. Kinda, that's, that's why yeah. I'm saying only in the first few seasons, because once she runs for council, you're like, all right, this has gone clearly beyond, you know, uh, any, any scenario. <laughs> yeah, it's but if you literally me, if you could... not realistic. <laughs> Literally the least realistic I've ever seen. Um, no, but if you give me if you give me Leslie Nope uh, Harvest Festival or Tom Haverford, uh, yeah, I would have fired Tom yeah, the- immediately, <laughs> <laughs> and I would have invested in I would have invested in Sparkle Studs, Twinkle Twinkle Big Star or uh, Entertainment Seven Twenty. <laughs> no, <laughs> so it's been a while since I watched. Parks and Rec. I remember uh, when it when it came on, I had uh, I had just moved to Weatherford and I was managing the Parks Maintenance Department, and it hit home just perfectly, um, because Parks people are very excited about Parks, and that's great because that's that's their job. Uh, but Leslie Nope is yeah. just the quintessential Parks person, and and so it really resonated with me there. Uh, uh, there's an episode where she she finds out that the library department is uh, has put a claim in on her pit lot and uh it's her boss's ex-wife tammy that is uh the yeah. deputy director of the <laughs> of the library department and there's this huge internecine struggle between parks and libraries and they hate each other uh, which i found that quite funny too but the thing about leslie is uh at least in the beginning she's just really naive like she's super ambitious yeah. but she's really yeah. naive um like at one point uh uh they go to a neighboring town to build a park with this kaboom uh, organization. <laughs> and she comes yeah, back right. and the planner is like, you know, why don't you just go do it? Like, you don't have to ask for permission, just ask for forgiveness. And so she says, so who do I ask to, uh, to know if I don't have to ask for permission? <laughs> it's like, she's such a rule <laughs> follower, but like she, you know, she yeah. starts to kind of break rules as the thing goes. And like you said, she, she starts to go way beyond the bounds of a, a public servant, uh, at least a non-elected public servant. But I don't know. Part of me thinks that you could you could utilize her ambitiousness, and uh, you might term it as overzealousness. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like there's maybe it's partly because she's in a smaller city, but there are there's a there's a lot of opportunity in bigger organizations where a lot of people are doing the same job, um, where that sort of ambition just kind of gets drained out of you over time. Um, so mm-hmm. if you can find someone who has the drive, then you just have to find a way to harness it for good, you know, not for evil. Yeah. Um, that's well, that's a fair point because, and I guess I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Like, <laughs> the, as much red tape as, as government has, and as much as you hear the word no, I mean, you can, you can really become kind of more like uh, Larry, Gary, Jerry. Gingrich, Gergich, whatever his name is, you know, where you just kind of show up and do your job and leave. And it, yeah, and you, you don't want that either. So I, I He's think, just there and nobody you know, remembers him. Like nobody thinks about <laughs> you. He's just there. Exactly. He's just living off of the public, you know, dollar and not really 
doing much to contribute to it. So, so I think, I think, you know, initially what I thought was, oh, fire, but I, I probably, I would soft play it definitely and be like, look, your ambition's great. Here's what I need to see from you. Um, definitely stop going to, to the Purd Happily show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't talk to Joan Calamazzo or everyone else in the media and, and, you know, and, and I'll do everything I can to, to help you move to the next level and to accomplish the goals you want to accomplish. But we're going to do this the right way and not subvert, you know, everybody else in the city. And I think that's, that's honestly the only point I was trying to make. How would you like, how would you like working for Ron Swanson? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Talk about someone I want all, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> correct. I want all of the meat. All of the meat. <laughs> I'm afraid what you heard was, give me scrambled eggs. When what I said was, <laughs> I want all of the eggs you have. Yes, um, correct. <laughs> no, I, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I would like having a beer with Ron Swanson. Uh, he had a, absolutely no business being in government. Uh, so no, I don't, I wouldn't want to work for him unless I was, we're in the private sector. I'll say this. I, I sympathize a little bit. Um, I, I, I lean a little bit more, um, I'd say, like anti-political, not really uh, the biggest fan of government generally. Um, but so going into government was a little bit strange. Um, but I always kind of felt like, you know, if I wasn't doing it, then someone else who maybe didn't care as much about being you know, fiscally responsible or... Uh, operationally responsible, maybe they'd be in my in my position. Um, so I, I kind of have some sympathy for Ron. Uh, he's a little bit of an, a, a, a caricature, obviously, because it's a comedy yep. show. Um, but the one thing I loved about Ron is later in the in the series, um, I don't remember what they're building, maybe a park, maybe something else. And someone comes up to him and asks him for this permit, and he just hands him this sheet of paper and it says, "I am permitted to do this." <laughs> No, I'll tell you what it was. He um he was doing the this is how oh man, this is how much of a parks and rec nerd I am. He was um doing the staff appreciation lunch and it was a barbecue and he brought he brought a live pig and he was gonna slaughter it and throw it on the grill and like the parks ranger was like, Oh, you can't do that here. He's like, Why not? And he was like, Oh, it's against um at least five laws and like a dozen health codes. And he's like, Oh, don't worry, I have a permit. And he hands it to him and it says, I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah, that became a meme in our office for a few months. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um it, it, well and one thing you said is like that you you would rather someone who cares and understands the scope to be in that position. Um and that's actually why I got into government. Uh, not to bring this back to a non-comedic thing, but like initially I, I wanted to do something very different in my life. I interned with Tarrant County Housing and Community Development right when Katrina hit Louisiana. Um, and we had a bunch of displaced, um, you know, evacuees. And I saw firsthand from, you know, a young uh, 20, 21 year old standpoint, how inefficient and ineffective um, government could be. And it just, it, quite frankly, it pissed me off. And the more I got into it, the more I was like, I, I could do a better job. You know, most of the people I'm seeing, that, that's honestly why I got into it. So in a weird way, I, I guess uh, I'm your Ron Swanson, Jed. Or my Duke Silver. And on that note, we need to, we need to wrap up this, <laughs> this podcast. So 
So Kyle, man, I want to thank you uh, once again for coming on and talking to us. I know it's a tough time. Um, we're actually recording this podcast late at night because everybody's been working long hours during this period. So just want to take the, the, the time to thank you and, uh, and for coming on and chatting with us and, and giving us some, some insight into what's happening uh, in your world and in Colleyville and budget and finance. And so uh, thanks a lot. So um, from Chad and I, guys, uh, obviously this is a tough time for many communities out there. If you need help, if you need assistance, uh, we are here to connect you with other professionals in the field or to assist you with those projections if you need it. So just get in touch with us. Uh, but otherwise uh, we're, you know, we, we are, we are there for you in spirit and trying to help you out as much as possible. So thanks for tuning in and uh, we hope to catch you on the next uh, episode of Zatcast. Yeah. Thank you guys. If you listen to us on the website, we really appreciate it, but it'd be really awesome if you would follow us and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And if you like what you heard, just give us a five-star review that helps other people find us. Uh, but otherwise we'll see y'all next time.